Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We've all heard that journaling can be therapeutic. In fact, many of us may have seen a counselor and been encouraged to write down our thoughts and feelings as a way to process experiences and challenges. According to a study by Graf, Gaudiano, and Geller, clients who were given homework in which they were asked to emotionally disclose via writing exercises showed, quote, significantly greater reductions in anxiety and depressive symptoms, as well as greater overall progress in psychotherapy in comparison to the writing control group. Results suggest that emotional disclosure writing homework in conjunction with outpatient psychotherapy facilitates therapeutic process and outcome, end quote. But how exactly does writing help us psychologically? The answer may be in how writing redirects activity in our brains. According to psychologist Dr. Matthew Lieberman of UCLA, brain imaging reveals that when we label our feelings, verbally or through writing, the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain, is less active, while the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex is more active. No surprise, the right ventrolateral prefrontal cortex is the area of the brain responsible for thinking in words about emotional experiences. It is also related to inhibiting behavior. This suggests that writing helps us process emotions neurologically by quieting the emotional center of the brain and inhibiting behavior, which can be a really good thing if we're prone to act out and react to emotions in a way that maybe later we regret. A study by Schroeder, Moser, and Henyon found that for people who were worried about an upcoming task or event, writing about your feelings before embarking upon a stressful task can help you accomplish that task more efficiently. Clearly, Writing holds many benefits for our psychological and emotional well-being. And here to speak more about expressing yourself and telling your story through writing is Stacy Brookman of Life Story Laboratory. Here's a little bit more about Stacy. Stacy Brookman is a resilience and life storytelling expert. She helps smart, outwardly confident women who secretly have low self-esteem issues due to an emotionally abusive partner take back control and begin to develop the resilience they need to be themselves again. Her free monthly webinar will give you four simple proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story in just seven days. She believes that life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours. Our conversation with Stacy Brookman up next. Stacy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Karen. I am so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I love this topic. As you may know, but my listeners definitely know, I am a big fan of any type of therapy that can be more holistic. And what you're about is exactly that. So share with my listeners your platform, your mission, and how you find it empowering for healing uh, trauma. 
Yes, absolutely. So I have my platform is at stacybrookman.com. And what I teach people is how to write through their tough life stories in order to recover from trauma. Because when you write, you are actually healing from the inside out. There's a lot of research around it. And when I discovered this for myself, I'm like, wow, the whole world needs to know how to do this, why it helps. And so that's my mission is to get that word out on teaching people who are not even writers how to write through their tough life stories. Yeah. And I think for the average person, they're probably familiar with journaling and (laughs) maybe they've gone to a therapist and they've, it's been recommended, Hey, why don't you journal your thoughts? And so, yeah, we know kind of at some level that there is a processing that occurs through getting Mm -hmm. these thoughts that may be jumbled and maybe confusing in our head, but getting them by concretizing them in black and white on pen and paper, that in and of itself can be therapeutic. But help us understand how this actually can heal trauma. You're talking about a deeper level than maybe just a diary. Yes. And so you know, when I first started, I I was like doing a diary and I protected what I put in there because, you know, you're always thinking, okay, what if somebody reads this down the road? And so you're always editing before it even gets down on paper. So what this is, it is quite a bit deeper because you're getting these things, these ugly things that might not even be, you know, flattering to yourself out onto paper. And most people say, you know what, just put it behind you, just ignore it. You're going to be okay. But when you go through trauma, your brain stores it in a different part of your brain than regular memories. And those, and it kind of hides it from you. It hides it, but it makes it really clear. So it comes back to haunt you time and time again. And not only that, it dictates how you operate in the world. So what writing does is it, and especially when you're in trauma and stress, you're in a lot of brain fog as well. So when you write through this sort of thing, you are taking those words and you're clarifying them and you are gaining power over them. And what you're doing is writing helps you move it from that part of the brain where it's stuck and it comes back time and time again to the normal part of your brain where memories are normally stored, where that can fade just like regular memories. And I love it because in that process, you're also looking at those things, like you said, in black and white. And the the stories that we tell ourselves inside of our heads are often different than reality. And we, again, like we're protecting ourselves or we hide things from ourselves, our brain hides things from us to protect us. But when you get it out, it, then you're able to look at it in a different light and you're able to say, okay, now what can I do? And you give yourself a lot more options. Yeah, it sounds, one. it's one of those therapies to me that sounds simple and almost too simple to be powerful. And yet it is extraordinarily powerful. You spoke to parts of the brain that are hanging on to trauma and you mentioned mm-hmm. to protect us because some of what people have been through is so horrific. We they can't process it on a day-to-day basis. They have to They have to go out. They have to go to their job. They have things to do. And so it's yes. lingering there and then it's festering. And what's happening is that it's still impacting us, even though it's out of our consciousness or out of our awareness yes. on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. It's still causing us to react in ways that oftentimes I would imagine, I'm sure you've seen this with your clients, 
you're responding to a here and now experience and you're reacting based on this trauma that's in your brain that's really not accessible to you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, why did I freak out like that? Why did I have such a strong reaction? true. Yeah. And so by you taking through the writing, accessing now, and I'm sure in the therapeutic realm, you're in a safe place. So some of these Mm -hmm. situations that are hard and painful and will cause someone to be vulnerable because they've, again, like you said, the, the brain has tucked it away for survival mode. Right. And so to bring it now to a processing level through writing with your adult sensibilities and with a, your more rational mindset, letting your rational mind access it to tell yourself, okay, I'm not vulnerable anymore. I'm safe now. I'm in control. I'm an adult now. I, I can yes. choose safe situations for myself. I can choose safe relationships. So all of that, it sounds... It sounds a little bit uh, like when I say all that, I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> and so I love what you're doing because it helps concretize that whole process. It does. And when you do that as well, you're not only going to dig into that tough stuff and it's painful, right? And, and by the way, there there is a ton of research, Dr. Pinnebaker, there's lots of research around this being incredibly helpful, including it actually boosts your immune system, by the way. So I love, love, love that. And it is really transformative in your life. And what you're going to do, in addition to digging up those things, you're also going to find your strengths. You're going to find maybe a superpower that you have not had before. And I'll tell you how this plays out in my own life. If you don't mind, I'll tell a little story. Oh, please do. So in my young adult life, I I was very introverted, timid. I felt like everybody else in the room, no matter what room I was in, had more knowledge, more power. I was giving away my power. And as I grew into my adult life, I became someone who I thought, you know, I, I needed to be professional and I need to be somebody. And so I put that persona on. And as I was going through my adult life, in fact, when I started writing, we did a little exercise that I take my students through about finding your life theme. And I thought my life theme was, hey, I'm a professional. I am a go-getter. I can, I can do things and things like that. But what I was really operating in the world as is that timid, introverted person that I felt like when I was a young adult. And that came from my childhood. And so what I was doing is, I don't even know what the incident was or something where somebody said, oh, you don't, your opinion doesn't matter or something. We don't even know a lot of times what exactly happened in childhood, but you're taking on, like I said, that persona of the eight-year-old or the 14 or 16-year-old or whatever, whenever that trauma happened that in your brain, it said, you're not worthy. And I operated my entire adult life until I realized this as that not worthy person. And when I realized that, when I dug into those stories, but you have to dig in to find that sort of thing. And I recognized that my life story, my life theme was about not raising my hand. And I didn't like it. I'm like, I don't want that life theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you recognize it, you can change it. And that's exactly what I did. And only by writing did I start recognizing, here's how I am really operating. And that eight-year-old self saying, you're not good enough. I'm like, stop it. I am good enough because now I am looking back at all kinds of things with older and wiser eyes. 
And it's a beautiful thing when you when you do that. I mean, writing about these tough stories could be the most valuable thing you do your entire life because you find new things about yourself that you do like and that you can do. And it's amazing. It really is. It reminds me a little bit of narrative therapy and Mm -hmm. finding, basically finding your story, like you said, finding your life's theme. And then as you so vulnerably and, and just shared from your personal experience, then you find that the theme that you've been telling yourself you, it's not working for you. And you uh, right. it's a lie. So often right. it's a lie. It's just not true. Mm-hmm. And until you've identified it, as you said, until you've identified it, you will not be able to tackle it. Right. <laughs> and to because it's just floating around or it's repressed or it's there and it's wielding its power over you. And you have no idea. Right. You don't even realize it. And you might think of yourself as powerless or timid or I can't do that or I can't, you know, get through this or my life is tough or this, you're kind of imagining yourself as somebody without power. When you write, you gain power, no matter how tough your stories are. There there are a lot of tough stories out there. You gain power over that story you gain power. You can manipulate those words, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you can manipulate those words. You're, you're manipulating that story and you can get that out and in clear form, black and white, and see things for how they really are or were because you might be blaming yourself for things that really aren't your fault. Yeah. And so it really is amazing when you can do that and have clarity and then you start on that journey of more self-compassion. You can say, okay, I understand I have operated this way, but I don't have to anymore. I understand that I did what I had to to cope back then at those points in time. When I was going through some of the stuff that I did with, I was married to someone who was a sociopath. I'm like, I lowered my standards, my morals and values. And and I, I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't like it. And I didn't even really realize it until I started writing. I thought, gosh, I don't really want to write this about myself, that this is what happened. But when you do, again, you take power back from that story. You take your power back and you can say from here on out, here's how I'm going to operate. Here's what I am all about. And it helps you become more resilient and live a more joy-filled life. Yeah, that word resilience kept coming to mind. And I love anything that's about empowering ourselves. And it is so often, you know, the theme of this podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. And many of these themes, as you spoke to, will be free floating thoughts in your head that you just take as true. Mm-hmm. And just a little example that came to mind as you were speaking, just this week, I did a post on Instagram where so for a while, my story is I was single for forever, dated, called off a wedding, and then got, finally got married at 42. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things over the years of a lot of heartbreak, I started telling myself I'm unlucky in love. And um, yeah. I didn't identify it until some point. It probably was through journaling now that I think about it. But telling myself that that was the way I was framing all that heartbreak. And the post I did on Instagram, I reframed and I said, no, I was wrong when I was telling myself that. I was actually lucky that I wasn't stuck in a loveless relationship. Oh, yes. Right? So I had to see all that heartbreak was protecting me from being with the wrong person. 
keeping me available for the right person. But that's such a powerful reframe. And we can do that in a second. In a second, we can do that as long as we're fully aware. Like you said, we have full clarity of the messages we keep telling ourselves. Right. And you have to be willing to do the hard work. Right. If because if you are afraid to even dig into that, you're afraid because you're you will find something that that's not nice about you or that you might have to change something. This is so safe. You do not have to change yourself in any way. But when you write it down and you see all these things in clarity, you give yourself more options. You have choices. And who wouldn't want more choices to be who they want to be? Or I can take this or I can leave it. Now that it's out in the open, I can see it and clearly address it. But you don't have to. It's safe. Right. And all the psych research, of course, you're familiar with this, I'm sure it shows that when we feel that we have choices, when we feel a sense of agency and control over Mm -hmm. over our life, we are happier. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals. And we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. You mentioned that you were in a very unhappy, uh, an emotionally abusive relationship. Did you start this therapy as you were trying to extricate yourself from the relationship or was this as you processed that relationship being over? I actually came across it accidentally. So when I was in the process of getting a divorce and it was just horrible and I I didn't even know the word of sociopath or narcissist before until the the court ordered psychiatrist said, Hey, this is what, this is what this is about. And I'm like, Oh, now something I can Google and research and figure this out. So uh, and and when you're going through really tough things like that, divorce or even illness, like this works for any tough situation. My brain was in such a fog. I didn't know I was being gaslighted and things mm-hmm. like that. So I didn't know if I was coming or going. I had two young kids. And so what I did was um, my parents gave me some money for my birthday. And I was like 40, whatever, two years old. And I did something that I thought was very selfish. I used the money for me instead of paying bills or doing, giving something for the kids. You know, you always, as moms, you just kind of give your things away and you do this. And I thought, you know what? I need something that's something for me, something that was just for me. And I saw this memoir class and I thought, I've I've always kind of liked writing. And so I started going and it was my two hours every week that was just about me. And what I started doing was writing all the crazy things that were happening to me each week. Like, here's what's happened. Like, it's like you wouldn't believe what these things were going on. And I brought these stories to my class. And instead of being judgmental, these folks, they couldn't understand what I was going through. They, none of them had had a, a narcissist or sociopath in their lives but they'd all understood like nobody escapes childhood without some sort of trauma. Mm -hmm. And they held my story 
just gently. They couldn't fix it for me, but they held it without judgment. And I felt such a peace when I'm writing this and I brought these and they still accepted me no matter what. And it was just a really amazing moment. And when I started doing that and I started writing more and I started becoming clearer about what my life theme was, what I wanted it to be, who I really was, because you start to lose yourself in some of these tough situations. It was, I became lighter. I, that brain fog went away. I figured out how in the world did me, a professional woman, get involved with an abusive person in the first place? And then how do I continue the steps to get out? How do I have that strength? Because it's, it's very tough. And then I started doing the research and on the art and the science of writing through your tough stories. And I realized, oh my goodness, everybody needs to know this will help you heal. And it's, it's cheap. You can do it personally. You don't ever have to share it if you don't ever want to, but it's incredibly healing. So I'm curious because, and again, I'm sure you are familiar with this research. Years ago, there was this trend in psychotherapy of all these repressed memories. And Mm. the problem was that what was happening oftentimes with very well-intentioned therapists trying to understand their client's depression or anxiety, they would do these regressive techniques. Let's go back to your childhood. Let's revisit, oh, what was happening that was so traumatic that's, that's causing you to be so sad or anxious today? And unfortunately, at times, they were creating false memories. And mm-hmm. Dr. Elizabeth Loftus speaks to this quite extensively, that memory is very, very porous and yes. not very reliable whatsoever. And so what happened during that time, a lot of these regressive therapies were being implemented because before they realized that oftentimes these memories were in fact false, they were thinking this is the this is the key. We go back to childhood, we figure out what the trauma was about, we rework it in the present, and then they'll go on healthy, whole, healed. But what was happening was oftentimes through these regressive techniques, the clients were getting worse. They yes. weren't. They were they were becoming more depressed, more anxious. And the, the utter tragedy is oftentimes believing now, talking about a story or a theme, that something happened, that their father molested them, for example. Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases, unfortunately, this was not even true. So how do you distinguish kind of getting away from what we now know isn't therapeutic and isn't helpful and keeping it to, yes, go to where the trauma was, let's process it through writing, but how do we make sure that we're keeping it in reality and not actually through, again, the best intended efforts ending up making things worse? Good question. Because first of all, people are scared to go back. You don't want to do something like that if it's not something that really happened. And so what we do when I take my students through is we start with your adult life. And we start with making lists of desires you've had in your life or lists of conflicts that you've had in your life, list of turning points in your life. And where some of those intersect, let's just start writing there. And it's not a forced, let's go back further. Let's go back further. What happened with your dad? What happened? You know, it's not a forced thing at all. Nobody is pushing you to come up with these things because then your brain might say, okay, oh, they're looking for this. I better produce it, right? Sure. This is no, it's, it is painful because you have had things happen to you and you do need to get them out and write them down. And, and yes, it's like, uh, 
a lot of times for me, I didn't even have the words for what happened until I started thinking, okay, how do I get this out? Mm -hmm. And, and you don't even have to go back to childhood. Just let's look at some of the things that happen in adulthood. And then if you choose to go back, you can yourself. We're not doing anything unconsciously at all, but we don't do any hypnosis or trying to regress or anything like that. It's totally, here's what's happened. Now, your brain might hide some things from you, but how we do it is you, as you are writing one thing, it might spark another memory. And then you can write about that. It might spark another memory. And then you can write about that. So your brain reveals what it wants to at certain times. It's not forced at all. Now, it might be that as you're writing about that time when you just left a job and didn't give notice or you got fired or something like that, something that's still trouble in your life, it might be that your brain is not going to let you know, hey, at that point in my life, my husband did X, Y, and Z. So that it still might be hiding from you. And that's okay. That, that's not the right time. Your brain says, you know what? I'm not going to go there. And that's okay. Don't push it. Don't. We don't want to re-traumatize folks who start writing. We want mm-hmm. to help them heal. And I think not forcing that, but using writing as a a way to get out what you can and what you would like to, what your brain would wants to let you get out and process, that is the most healthy way to do it. Yeah, it's, as you said, the brain is designed to make meaning. And I think what was happening with these clients and therapists is I'm feeling so utterly demoralized right now. There has to be a good reason for it. Mm -hmm. So we have to come to this conclusion. And as you said, then together, they're like investigative reporters and we're going to figure out what happened. And that, as you mentioned, can re-traumatize that experience. And then, of course, maybe it didn't even happen in the first place. And now we've got a person running around with a story that's based in a lie. Again, Mm -hmm. no one meant to everyone had the best of intentions. But it's interesting because what happens is we have people who are trying to make sense of very valid emotions. And as a psychologist, I absolutely believe in validating emotions and also realizing that life is full of emotions. And in our culture right now, we're having a hard time recognizing that. I mean, I think so. one of the most powerful therapeutic interventions is the most simple, basic normalizing of life. And I think there's this pressure and it has to do partly from pharmaceutical corporations that benefit if everyone thinks they're depressed and takes psychotropic. Right. Right. I mean, they Mm -hmm. take medication and then the pharmaceutical corporations make money. And so there's this kind of understanding. And I think the young people today, because they've grown up with so much mental health awareness, that's wonderful. And also has led, I think, some young people to think, oh, I'm nervous to go to this party where I don't know anyone. I guess I have social anxiety. I'm thinking, no, (laughs) you're human. (laughs) And so I think just even normalizing through writing things down again, you can go, well, I guess that made sense that I felt a little lost when I yeah, broke up with someone, lost my job and turned 30 and my life didn't feel sorted out in the way I wanted it to. I guess that's kind of a normal response to feel that way. Right. I love the fact that when you write, you are... Yes, you feel those emotions, but you are looking back with, again, wiser eyes. You're touching on some of these stories. You're digging those out and examining those individual aspects of your stories, and you're giving them the importance that they deserve. For instance, you might have discovered that this tough thing happened, but that 
you had the strength to get through, which then you can be proud of yourself. So, And what you're thinking as you go throughout the day is, I I just want to squish that down. I don't want to think about that. Yes, it's popping back up. No, I don't want to think about that. Dig into that. Examine that story. Give whatever aspects of that story the importance it deserves. And then you're able to put that away and say, okay, I'm done thinking about that now that I've acknowledged it. I think shame causes us to put a lot of stuff in the back of our minds that just need to be worked through. And it's still causing that angst. It's kind of hidden. It's low key, but it's still there. And wouldn't it be amazing to be free and feel authentically you? That's what I absolutely love. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. So often women who are very accomplished and successful in many realms and really feel very accomplished and successful may still have some low self-esteem that may be affecting them in relationships. And I think this Mm -hmm. will be particularly interesting to my audience, many of whom are on the dating scene. How does writing and this therapeutic approach, how does it help with self-esteem with people who may not even realize that they've got this outward confidence, but inside they're not feeling as worthy as they should, which of course is going to affect the choices in dating partners. Yes. And in fact, it's very attractive to narcissists and sociopaths. Mm -hmm. They are attracted to outwardly confident women. And you know, you might think, oh my goodness, I'm a I'm a magnet for these type of people. Mm-hmm. But really they are attracted to confidence and they want to break it down. And so I teach people that there are four different steps to to writing and leveraging those tough stories to build resilience. And that means building your own confidence. And so part of that is all about embracing who you are, embracing those tough stories, embracing what's happened in the past, because whatever tough things life has thrown at you, if you are just moving past and trying to put them, you just tuck them away, ignore them, and you've got probably friends and family, you know what? Just don't think about him anymore. Don't do, you know what? You really have to turn to that past and you've got to stare down those things that are haunting you. Because it's kind of like um, if you're in a, a scary place and and you're like, I just want to get small as possible and not just be in a bubble and not let anything happen to me. But when that fear, that thing that's haunting you is actually controlling how you operate in the world. And people, especially narcissists and people who are not great at being in relationships, they pick up on that. It's very subtle. And you, of course, are amazing and you think this person is really into you and you start sharing more and opening up more about who you are and your fears and your anxieties and your joys and all that sort of thing. That is what they're going to use to break you down later on. So you have to be aware if you're hiding from these stories, you have to acknowledge that you have them and embrace those stories first. And then 
when you do that, then you can go and enable those stories. And that means you are leveraging those stories, getting them out of your head onto paper because of that clinical research, proving that you re- writing about those painful experiences boosts your physical, your psychological, and your emotional well-being, getting them out, and then you are able to learn the lessons you need. You're not afraid of what's happened in the past, and you don't have to hide from yourself or others. That gives you a confidence that nobody can take away. Nobody can take away. When that happened, I never imagined myself to be as resilient and confident and being the amazing person that I am right now, Thinking, even thinking that I'm amazing. I never imagined myself like that. But I am. And you can be, anybody listening to this can be that amazing person, can be authentic, can be confident. You just have to work through your stories. And it really is transformative. And you mentioned that you were in a writer's group and you felt a lot of support as you were sharing things that, like you mentioned, it it was hard even to find the words sometimes for how you were feeling, what you were experiencing in your former abusive relationship. That was also therapeutic as well to have that group model of support where you would share and in a very affirming and validating and non-judgmental context. Mm-hmm. So, so how does this translate to the work you do? Are you do when you have clients? Do you work one-on-one with them? Do you provide group kind of settings for them? I mean, so much of this is virtual now. Help us understand kind of the nuts and bolts of the process. Yes. So I do not do individual one-on-one work. That group is so powerful, but it's even more powerful when you are in a group where other people have experienced some similar things. Because here's what happens. You're like, oh my gosh, nobody has ever experienced this before. But the next person over can say, "Uh, yeah, that exact same thing happened to me. Here's what I did. And so there's some validation there. And so it is online. I launch my Life Story Laboratory course a couple of times a year, and we have a cohort going through and supporting each other. And I always say, too, everybody has some sort of trauma. There's no trauma Olympics. We're not saying, you know, your trauma is more than mine, and so I'm not worthy to tell my story or whatever. It could be anything. But having that group there where we're all digging into our stories, we're all getting that that healing from getting those stories out and having people uh, encourage each other weekly and having somebody else just to hear your story, just to acknowledge that you have a story is unbelievably helpful. And it is life-changing. People just get so excited, that validation and that safe space. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. 
I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. I want to bring it back to the dating realm again, because as I mentioned, many of my listeners are on the dating scene. So I'm thinking of so many of them who maybe had a really poor or non-existent relationship with their father, and then they've had a couple abusive, heartbreaking relationships in their early adulthood. And now maybe they're getting into their 30s and 40s and they're going, I just have no template for how to have a healthy relationship. They stop believing that it's actually available to them. It's possible Mm -hmm. for them. And so I'm curious how specifically they could, through writing, find that, like you said, to empower themselves to believe that they're worth it, to believe it even exists. Because if I don't believe it exists... I'm not going to see it. And that goes back to social psych. We talk about the confirmation bias. If I'm biased to believe that good relationships don't exist, I will only notice the bad ones. And of course, that will be the ones from my past and then the ones I see around me. And so we really want to get our headspace, like you were saying, imagining the life we want and being very clear on what we want, then believing that we deserve it and then stepping into it. Right. And and here's the thing. You, you, You mentioned this. You cannot just say, I believe I'm worth it. It, it, right. Your brain's just going to say, "Well, no, you're not." But you can <laughs> you can tell that to yourself, right? Right. It feels so, like a lie at first. It, it does feels, feel yeah. like a lie. But you know, today I am so much wiser than before I started writing. And my girls, they're 19 and 20. They have used to see me as a codependent mom. In fact, that was one of the impetus of me even getting out. I did not want them to grow up and be sure. in the exact same type of relationship. That broke yeah. my heart. Yeah. But what happened is when I started writing, I not only discovered my story, I discovered my voice. I discovered my resilience. I discovered who I really could be and wanted to be. And I wrote it down. And as I'm writing these stories, I recognized what my brain had been hiding from me. I recognized that I am valuable. So you can see that in those stories and they came from your brain and they're about you, that helps them to become more believable. You are worthy. Oh, wow. I can do that. I am capable. And when you find your voice and you find your confidence, it's you You step into a new relationship totally different. Here's the other thing. I came out of this bad relationship thinking, I do not want another man ever. I am totally done. And I'm happy. And when I started to become happy with myself and present myself and have my voice and be valuable, I became so much more attractive to Mm -hmm. those other people because I knew who I was and I knew that I had worth and value. And that is incredibly attractive. Now, 
ultimately my neighbor said, Hey, like, don't you want somebody to go with you to the movies or something? I'm like, no, nah, not really. But I dipped my toe in. And because I had done that healing work inside, I knew my value, my voice. I wasn't afraid of saying no or giving my opinion. I was not that timid person anymore. I then was able to have a much healthier relationship. So it took four or five years, but that was well spent on becoming the person I wanted to be happy with myself, no matter what happened in the future. And that attracted the right person to me, who is also very healthy. Yeah. And in marital therapy, we say that water seeks its own level. So mm-hmm. what, if we are out there feeling incomplete, feeling less than, feeling unworthy. You're only going to attract people who are also in that space or else people who are looking to manipulate someone who's in that space and to to control them, as you spoke to with a narcissist, for example. So I love this because, again, I speak to this topic in general about, and so does everyone. I mean, everyone knows the cliche, you got to love yourself first, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But people go, but how? (laughs) Right? What does that even mean? Right? So I think they love themselves or I'm fine, you know, I'm fine. But internally, they don't play that out inside of themselves. Right. And this is such a great tangible approach that allows people to have some structure. Here are the steps we take to Mm -hmm. start to build this, to examine who we are, how we want to find our theme, as you put it. I love that. Mm -hmm. And rewrite our story to a degree. If I need to reframe something as empowered and and look at it and go, wait a minute, I was resilient. I am stronger than I give myself credit for. And to carry that energy with you into the dating scene is only then going to, as you spoke to, and your experience substantiates this. Once you got to that place, you were able to attract someone at your same level who's happy, whole, positive, part of the solution, not part of the problem. Exactly. Yeah. So I love having these tangible approaches. So tell us a little bit more about Life Story Laboratory. So listeners could go to your website and sign up and then join another group. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are starting another group at the end of August. And it's a cohort of people who are writing their tough life stories, their healing and it's very supportive community of life storytellers. So yes, it's at lifestorylaboratory.com. I would like to challenge folks here because when you hear this stuff, when you hear these, you know, this ability to heal and, and how you can do this, you have two choices. You can really attempt to bury those tough life stories that you have. You can play whack-a-mole with them for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Or you can then take back your power and write those tough stories and become more resilient. So I just would challenge everyone listening to imagine a time when you're writing your tough life stories and you start to gain power over them. And imagine a time when you've actually put into action the wisdom that you've learned from your stories. I love the wisdom. And imagine a time when your story has helped you become that person that you've always imagined. Now is that time. So yes, it's at lifestorylaboratory.com. You can check it out. It's, it gives you all the details. You don't have to wonder about anything and um, get started. I love it. So empowering, so encouraging, so healing. And I love the idea of stepping into 
the person you've always known you are and wanted to be and to remove any barriers to becoming that person. So thank you, Stacey, so much for joining us today. Where else can people find you? Are you on social media? Should they hit you up on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook? Yes, I am on all the social medias under Stacy Brookman. And then on YouTube, my YouTube channel is amazing. I give free content out there. And it is uh, youtube.com slash real life resilience. I have a, a weekly show there and um, Instagram, Stacy Brookman. So yeah, you can find me all over the place. Great. Thanks again. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Karen. I am so grateful what you put out in the world and, and helping people. Thanks for what you do. Oh, thank you. The love and life hack for this week is write it out. Write it down on paper and take charge of the story of your life. I'm so glad we've spent this time together. If you want more of this content, check me out on Instagram at Dr. Karen. Sign up for my newsletter or book a consultation so we can talk it out. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.